Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray now that you would bless this time. I pray that you would forgive me of my sin, empty me of myself, help me this morning, Lord, without any agenda or prejudice, to be able to look at the text and to say, thus saith the Lord. I pray that our hearts would be stirred this morning as we remember and consider the price that the precious Son of God paid for our salvation. And I pray even now, if there's anyone here today that has not yet made Jesus Christ their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that that would happen today before they leave this very room that they would accept your precious gift of salvation that we preach about this morning. Father, we love you. We ask you to bless this time now, and I pray that you'd help me preach. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 19. The Word of God says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 1 Corinthians 7.23 carries the same message. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. I want to remind all of us this morning that while salvation is a free gift that is offered to you and I, Salvation was not free. The purchase of our redemption for all of eternity came with the greatest of price. Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and chapter 7 to a church that had a lot of problems. And he wanted to remind them that they should take their bodies and their spirits and dedicate them wholly to the Lord in obedience to them. And he reminded them that as the children of God, they are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And he says this phrase ye are not your own. That may not be very popular in today's day and age and in our culture. And the American in us may want to stiffen at the message that we truly are not our own, that we as children of God and Christians do not have full independence to live our life however we want to. Paul says you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. Your body is His temple. And you should remember that you are bought with a price. And in verse 23 of chapter 7, he reminds them again, you are bought with a price. Be not therefore the servants of men. Our body does not belong to us. We are not the ultimate servant of our employer. Rather, we belong both body and spirit to God. And Romans 12 gives the call to take your body and present it a living sacrifice to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul in his reasoning says the reason why this is your reasonable service as it were. What you should do is because you have been bought with a price. This time of year as we head towards Easter Sunday and we look back on the calendar at the historical days that the New Testament records of the suffering of Jesus Christ where he entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and that very week he was to die at the hands of the crowd who was crying out, Hosanna to the highest, behold he that cometh in the name of the Lord. He would spend three nights and three days in a grave and then gloriously resurrect, triumphant, over death, having paid the price of sin. And there are certain things that I believe as Christians we ought to meditate upon often. 
There shouldn't be too long that we go in the Christian life without stopping to remember that every single person that lives about us has a soul that is headed for an eternity either in heaven or in hell and that God has called us to be a testimony and a light and a witness. I believe that also Jesus' death and crucifixion should be something that is always brought to our minds that we consider and remember what some have called the passion, the suffering of the Christ, the Messiah, God in the flesh, who became man without ceasing to be God and had to tell his servants and his disciples over and over again, I know you think I'm here to defeat the Romans, set you free, set up my kingdom. But all of that is to come in the future. I'm here now to lay down my life for you and to pay for your sins that you might be made the righteousness of God through my death. The Gospels record this great price that was paid for our salvation. The reason that we should remember that we are not our own, but we are to devote our entire body, our soul and our life to the service of Christ. Luke 22 and other places in the Gospels record that on the last night of Christ's life, He called His disciples together to share the Passover with Him. At that sharing of the Passover, which was instituted in the Old Testament, there was to be a changeover in history where the shadows and the types that pointed to Christ were to be done away with and a new thing would replace it. The Old Testament laws, the Old Testament feast were all pointing to Jesus Christ. But now that Christ has come, we are in a new age in dispensation. And hence Jesus established the Lord's Supper in a replacement of the Passover. But as Christ called his disciples together and told them to prepare the the uh, Passover for them to share, the scriptures tell us that Satan entered into Judas Iscariot and he went and conspired with the chief priest and the captains how he might betray him and deliver Jesus unto them. So as Jesus sits through this precious time to share this Passover with his disciples and teach them, I am the Lamb of God come in the flesh about to be sacrificed for you. The conspiracy was already underway. The people were already communicating with Judas and heading to try and take Christ and crucify him. After they had shared this time and after for the final time, Jesus looked at Judas and said, It is you, thou hast spoken, you will betray me. And Judas went to fulfill it. Christ left and went with his disciples into the garden to pray and to wait. And as happened so often, the disciples of Jesus let him down. Unless we become too judgmental of Jesus' disciples in all of their foolishness and immaturity, I am a disciple of Jesus, and I often let Him down. I'm glad that He's patient with me. I'm glad that He's loving. I'm glad that He's kind. I'm glad that my salvation does not rest upon my ability to earn it or upon the saints like Peter for what he did, but rather it only rests on Jesus. Luke 2 and 24 records at this very moment there was also a strife among them. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? Jesus getting ready to go and die and suffer on the cross. And his disciples are arguing about who is greater. Who will have the greater stature? Who will have the title and the name that means more than another one? 
Jesus took them out with him into the garden. In verse 40 of Luke chapter 2, he told them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. He left them here and said, would you please just watch with me and pray for one hour. And as Jesus went forth to pray in agony, his disciples fell asleep. But Jesus prayed, as we'll talk about in just a moment. This was a time in history that was unique where Jesus, the Son of God, God Himself, member of the Trinity, wrapped in a human body, was about to physically and mentally endure more anguish than any person that has ever lived in history would ever endure. I have no doubt that as He prayed, the angels and the demons and the devil himself was nearby, watching, preparing, and waiting to see what was about to happen. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation in life where you've been under a lot of pressure. Sometimes something as simple as starting a new job the next morning, you lay awake and you don't sleep because you're ready for these changes and you're wondering what's going to happen and your mind begins to race. Well, the scriptures tell us in John 18, 4, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, whom seek ye? You see, when the crowd showed up to take Christ and the soldiers to arrest him, they did not rip him away against his will. That was not capable for them to be able to do that. That was not possible. They were not capable. There was other times where the crowds led by the Pharisees came and pressed through and they said, we'll take him now. We'll arrest him now. We'll kill him now. And Jesus said, my time is not yet come. And he miraculously passed through the crowd. Which way did he go? He's gone. Jesus said, no man has the power to take my life from me, but I willingly lay it down for you. So Jesus stood forth from his prayer, went forth to meet them and said, who are you here to arrest? He laid down his life for us. It was not taken from him. He volunteered to lay aside that power. But it says in John 18, 4, that Jesus knew all things that were going to come upon him. So as he sat there in the middle of the night in the garden and prayed, the mental contemplation and the stress was great upon him. Luke records in chapter 22 and verse 42, he prayed, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I don't pretend to understand it all or be able to explain it all perfectly. But Jesus, who was equal to God, laid aside some of that glory when he took the flesh upon him and humbled himself to death, even the death of the cross. I know that he was always God. I know that he was always subject to the will of the Father. Yet I know the scripture records his prayer was, if it be possible, would you remove this cup from me? This is not something he desired to do. He despised the shame. But nevertheless, he prayed that his will would be yielded to the will of God the Father. And church, whatever it is that Christ would ask you or I to bear in way of persecution or difficulty, if Christ could pray this, may we also pray, not my will, but thy will be done and surrender our will to the will of God who knows best. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven strengthening him. You see, he was weakened. You see, his human body was about to undergo torture. And before it even began, the stress wore heavy upon his mind and he needed to be strengthened. And being in agony, Luke says, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. This aspect of Jesus' suffering is only recorded by Luke, who was by profession 
a physician. He was a doctor. And he records, first of all, note, he prayed more earnestly. This was not a prayer that before you drift off to sleep, Lord, please bless me and all the missionaries. Amen. And you go to sleep without really considering or struggling in your spirit. Jesus rather prayed earnestly, desperately, sincerely, being in much agony as he prayed. Here, Luke says that Jesus sweat became, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. We believe the idea of what he is recording here is that he's not simply describing the way that the beads of sweat fell to the ground, but his sweat itself were as it were, were almost exactly if they were like great drops of blood. In other words, through Jesus' pores visibly coming out of his face were great drops of sweat that were mingled with blood that would clot as it passed out of his skin. This is a rare medical condition that is referred to in history by Aristotle and others. And what it means is that the blood mingled with the sweat and thickened the drops so that they fell to the ground in little clots and did not merely stain the skin. Notice that it says his sweat itself was as it were great drops of blood falling to the ground. So we believe that's what it's, it is saying is that his sweat itself was almost exactly like great drops of blood. Hence, we believe bloody drops of sweat coming from the face and the brow of Jesus Christ before he ever took a blow, before he ever took a lash. He prayed earnestly. And this medical condition, though rare in history, is called hematidrosis. This condition results in the excretion of blood or blood pigment in the sweat. Under conditions of great emotional stress, tiny capillaries in the sweat glands can rupture, thus mixing the blood with perspiration. This condition has been reported in extreme instances of stress. The cause of this condition are acute fear and intense mental contemplation. This medical condition which we believe Christ had that caused him to sweat great drops of blood would have also made his pending physical insults even more painful because it causes the skin to become extremely tender and fragile. From these factors, it is evident that even before Jesus endured the torture of the cross, he suffered far beyond what most of us will ever suffer. His penetrating awareness of the heinous nature of sin, its destructive and deadly effects, the sorrow and heartache that it inflicts, and the extreme measure necessary to deal with it, make the suffering of Christ beyond all comprehension. John 18, 18 also records that as Peter was standing without while Jesus was being taken away and arrested, they had made a fire of coals, John says, for it was cold. You see, the temperature in the garden was cold. It was a cold night when Jesus prayed, yet his agony and his pressure still caused him to sweat great drops of blood. I believe even far worse than the physical aspect of the crucifixion, which don't get me wrong, was extremely brutal. It was barbaric. 
It was terrible. The Jewish law said the most cursed is he that hangs on a tree. The Romans were known for making their crucifixion utterly brutal so that it would serve as a warning to the vilest of criminals that you best not get on the wrong side of the Roman government. Though he was to endure this physical pain, he also was to complete the transaction of paying for the sins of all mankind. I don't pretend to comprehend it completely or be able to understand it perfectly, but I know the scripture records that at that moment in sin, in history, the death of Jesus Christ was to be a vicarious death, meaning in place of, meaning substitutionary, meaning that though Jesus never sinned once, he said to the Father, I'm willing to pay for the sins of all history, of all mankind, those who would receive me and those who would reject me while I am on the cross, I will take the wrath of God and I will pay for every sin that has ever been committed. He is the propitiation, the payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. John records and Corinthians says that God has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So two things Jesus then the scripture records was to become sin itself and to pay for all the sins of mankind and endure the wrath of God for us. So much so that while Jesus hung on the cross, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In a quote of Psalm 22, God the Son to God the Father, Why hast thou forsaken me? The Father turned his back on Christ while he was on the cross because Christ, as he said to his disciples, The cup that my Father has given me, shall I not drink it? What he was referring to was becoming sin and paying for sin, paying for your sin and for my sin. And every ugly, vile sin that has ever been committed was laid upon Christ at that one moment in history. And this, I believe, caused Jesus to be in agony and to pray and to pray more earnestly. So the soldiers come to meet Jesus. He rises up. He says, who are you come to betray? And you have to read all of the Gospels to get the different picture. But Peter, who had already said, I'm not going to let you die, Jesus. I'm not going to let them take you. Jesus had to turn and say, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. But Peter, still not listening to Jesus, said, I'll save you. As if Jesus needed Peter to save him, Peter drew his sword and swung at the head of one of the the people that were coming to take Jesus and cut off his ear. And Jesus had to turn while he was going to pay for our sins and once again deal with his disciples. Again, like he always has to deal with you and I, right? And he says, Peter, don't you know? That if I wanted to, I could call to my father at this very instant and he would send 10,000 angels to vaporize the entire earth and to set me free. You're not going to save me. I don't need saving. I'm doing this voluntarily. And he placed the ear back on the soldier, performed one more miracle on his way to the cross. And they took Christ and they dragged him away to what was called the trial, but was not a fair trial. You could call it a kangaroo court a mockery of justice. They brought him before multiple judges and tried to pin him down, yet he was never proclaimed guilty at the trial. 
Yet they called out the more, crucify him, crucify him. The Gospels tell us that they paid false witnesses to come and lie about Christ, yet their testimony could not agree with one another. That's how blameless Jesus was. Even the paid coordinated witnesses made fools of themselves. Let God be true and every man a liar. Any man who accuses Christ of sin will be found to be a liar. So they brought him to Pilate. And Pilate said, what did he do? He violated our law. What did you say, Jesus? What did he do? He heard the answers. He considered. He went back and forth. And Pilate said, I find no fault in him. And anyone who honestly examines the life of Jesus Christ, precious Lamb of God, the, the love that is greatly possessed and given of Him that has never been possessed or given by any other offered to all can come to no other conclusion but then to honestly say, I find no fault in Him. He's holy. He's good. Yet they cried out the more, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate, seeking to find a way to get out of it, said, your tradition says one prisoner has to go free. How about Barabbas, who's committed terrible crimes? Will you rather I let Barabbas go or Jesus go? And they said, let Barabbas go. Let the thief, let the murderer, let this wicked man go free. We will have the blood of Jesus Christ. And Pilate called out for a basin full of water to make a public display. And he washed his hands and dried them in front of the entire bloodthirsty crowd. And he said, my hand is clean and innocent from the blood of this man. You crucify him according to your law, but our law will not do this. And as they dragged Jesus away from the trial... The Gospels record that before he even took his way to go to the cross, he was scourged. The Gospel record does not go into more details. The scourging by definition is to flog and to whip. So people have a little bit argued over exactly what happened. You have to look at Roman history. Some believe it was a more traditional flogging with a whip. Others believe it was a brutal practice where they would take a cat of nine tails and put little pieces of glass, pottery, or metal within the whips itself. And the lash would wrap around the body of the person who was being flogged. And when you pulled it away, the skin would be ripped away. Hence perhaps why Jesus said... I may tell all my bones, they stare at me. The skin itself being ripped away. Some people would die, they think, just from the flogging before they went away. They flogged him. They spit on him. They mocked him. The scripture says they smote him with their palms. They plucked out his beard. Isaiah 50 and verse 6, prophesying of Christ, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. He didn't hide from the shame because he could have delivered himself from it. But he said, I volunteer to take it upon my back because there's no other way for the sins of mankind to be paid for for the creation that was made in my image and likeness who I never intended to spend an eternity in hell there's no other option for their redemption so I will not hide my face from the shame Isaiah also records in 52 verse 13 behold my servant shall deal prudently he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high speaking of Christ 
And as many as were astonied or astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man in his form, more than the sons of men. His visage was the way he appeared. Marred means to be twisted. It was so beaten and marred more than any other man that when you looked at him, the meaning of the last phrase of that verse is simply saying, if you were to look at him, he didn't even look like he was a son of man. He didn't even look like he belonged to the human race because to look upon him was to see a figure that was twisted that did not look like a normal person. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The king shall shut their mouths at him for that which had not been told them shall they see and that which they had not heard shall they consider. They brought in mockery a crown of thorns and placed it down upon his head. Some people think they were larger thorns. Most people seem to think they were just the smaller thorns that were commonly growing on the hillside. And more than being pain, it was meant to be a mockery. You claim to be king of the Jews, but nonetheless, the thorns were still sharp. They placed it upon his head. No doubt it probably called, caused some blood. Then they mocked him. They put a purple robe on him and they said, Hail, king of the Jews. Behold your king. Those of you who would have a different king than King Herod, they took a reed and they smote him on the head with it. Mark fifteen nineteen. I'm sorry, uh, the other verse from Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. And they smote him on the head with a reed, Mark says, and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshipped him in mockery, pretending to worship him. The scriptures record that as Christ was trying to make the trek from his beating to where they would nail him to the cross and put him up upon it, that they had to take a foreigner, a man named Simon, who was from Africa to carry his cross for him. Thus, most believe the reason why another was hailed to carry his cross is because the beatings that Christ endured were so severe that he was unable to carry the cross himself and perhaps he fell to his knees multiple times and they said if we keep making him try to carry the cross he'll die before he ever gets there. So they had someone else to carry his cross but ultimately, theologically, it was my cross. It was your cross that we should have borne but Christ bore it for us. They stripped him naked. They mocked him. They placed him on the cross. Scripture and history records by taking long nails and driving them through his hands and through his feet. When they went to put him on the cross, he laid his own hands down again, indicating that he was willing to do so. As they raised him upon the cross and placed it upon the ground, that very action of the cross being set in the hole where it was to stand with your, your hands and feet already nailed to the cross would cause the joints to be thrown out of place as the Old Testament prophesied would happen. And as the thieves reviled him, and as they that passed by wagged their heads and mocked him, the Scriptures record that He looked to heaven and He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Let me just tell you this morning, if you've been taught that salvation 
and justification of your soul and restoration of your soul to God can be earned by the works that you perform. You've been lied to this morning. That is not the message of the Bible. Paul said if, if salvation, if justification has come by works, then is Christ crucified in vain? Why else, if there was another way for us to be saved, why would God allow His Son to suffer such humiliation? No, we will not be able to enter into heaven and say, I'm here, God, because I received you as my Savior, but also because I got baptized or joined the church or did more good than bad. Well, you paid for 99% of my salvation, but I had to keep holding on to it with that 1%. No, no percentage of our salvation could we ever earn, could we ever come close to paying for our own sins, though we were to be in the lake of fire for all of eternity, we would not pay for our sins. The Scripture records there's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. You see, there's basically two religions, two theological systems, if you will, throughout all of history. One says, do. This is what you must do to earn the favor of God. The other one says, done. This is what Christ has already done, that you may be restored to God. John 19, 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. You see, the God in him was still God, but the human body was dehydrated and called out in desperation. I'm thirsty. I crave that drop of water. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar And they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it into his mouth. And rather than water to quench his thirst, they gave him vinegar. And the precious sweet son of God drank the bitter for me that I could drink the sweetness of the water of life and have my soul paid for redemption with God. When Jesus therefore received the vinegar, he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Praise God, he said, it is finished. Not I'm finished, not I'm done, not I've had enough, but Father, the work that you gave me to do, I have accomplished it. Notice once again, it says he willingly allowed his spirit to leave his body. He surrendered to death. The cause of death is somewhat debated as well. Despite all he'd been through, there's still a final causation of death. But we read that they came by to check on the thieves and then they came by to check on Jesus. And what they would do if you had survived up to that point is sometimes they would break the legs of the offender hanging upon the cross so that you could no longer push yourself up to receive a breath and you would die from suffocation with your broken legs. But they came to Jesus and they thrust through a spear into his side and the scripture records blood mingled with water came out of his body. Thus they did not break his legs. Thus was the prophecy fulfilled, written thousands of years earlier. Not a bone of his was broken. And medical doctors, many of them believe that the blood mixed with the water indicates that around his heart there was a rupture. It burst and Christ died of a broken heart upon the cross of Calvary for the sins of all mankind. Psalm 22, I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. Praise God that Jesus said, not just I am poured out, 
But very distinctly, he says, I am poured out like water. Water is not generally poured out to be wasted. It's poured out to be consumed. It's poured out to give life. And Jesus said to the woman at the well, whoever drinks of the water that I give to you shall never thirst again. And he offers us salvation. Scripture records the last three hours of Jesus' life on the cross as He hung from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. A great darkness covered the land. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. I believe Psalm 22 says the the same prophecy that at noonday it would be dark. There would be no light. And about the ninth hour, this being when Jesus died, He cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Verse 50, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Here's what happens the moment that Jesus dies upon the cross. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. I'm going to follow as many rabbit trails as far as I can get, and then I'm just going to stop when my time is up this morning. But you see, in the Old Testament, God had told them, before you enter into the Holy of Holies, I want you to make a great veil that would not just be a little curtain, but it would be tall, it would be thick. You would be unable to rip it with your hands. And God said, not just anyone's allowed to pass into the Holy of Holies where the blood is sprinkled upon the altar that from the animals' sacrifices that were the sin offerings, but the high priest, must enter in and do it. And some people believe there was a rope tied around the priest's foot because if he sinned while he was in there, his body would be struck dead by God and they weren't allowed to go in so they'd have to pull him out with the rope if God struck him dead. But in the New Testament, God says He's made every born-again child of God a priest. And there's one mediator between God and man, the men, the man Christ Jesus. In other words, you don't have to go to a priest anymore to confess your sins. You don't have to go to a, a, a priest to ask him to go sprinkle the blood upon the altar. But God miraculously, if you were in the temple, you would have seen the curtain come down because God says from henceforth in history, you can come directly to me because that Jesus said after He'd risen again, I'm not yet ascended to my Father. But then Hebrews tells us that Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies, not in the temple made with the hands of man, but into heaven itself and sprinkled His own blood on the altar that for all of eternity a record may stand. The sins of mankind are paid for. My image bearers can be restored to me if they choose to do so. The veil miraculously rent, signifying that now salvation and access to God was open to every individual with no middleman. Then it says the earth did quake and the rocks rent. The graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after His resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with Him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, and remember the sun came back out when Jesus died, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this man was the Son of God. There was no denying that He was God. There is no denying this morning that He is God. The only question is, will you receive Him or will you reject Him? We know that after three days and three nights in the grave, the stone was rolled away and Jesus walked out of the tomb proving that He was God. 
And it's the greatest story that's ever been told in history that no work of fiction or historical movie or book can ever come close to being as fascinating and as beautiful. And the greatest story of love that God Himself looked at mankind who could not be redeemed to Him on their own. It was impossible. And God said, I will become man and will die as a man and pay for your sins and offer you salvation. You see, salvation is free for us, but it was not free for the one who purchased it. He was willing. Paul says in Corinthians, you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body in which your spirit, which are God's. Sometimes as servants of Christ, he asks us to be willing to bear hardship, to endure hardness as a good soldier. And the Apostle Paul, in the opposite message of a prosperity gospel preacher, said, Yea, all they that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. One way or another, it's going to come, because the world that hated God Himself enough to kill Him on a tree is going to hate His disciples at some point enough to persecute them in one way or another. But remember, there's nothing we may ever be asked to bear that Christ Himself did not already bear for us. Charles Spurgeon, in his very last sermon that he ever preached from his pulpit, said this of Christ, There never was his like among the choicest of princes. He is always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. The heaviest end of the cross lies ever on his shoulders. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. If there is anything that is gracious, generous, kind, and tender, yea, lavish, and superabundant in love, you always find it in Him. I don't know what your life has been like this morning. I don't know who's disappointed you. I don't know if you're like many where someone who claimed to speak for God or someone who claimed to represent God wronged you and harmed you or abused you. And if any of that had happened spiritually, physically, mentally, or in any other way, I'm sorry. But God Himself will never let you down. He'll be with you in your sorrows. He's already borne our sorrows for us. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. In other words, whatever it is that hurts you, it's already hurt Christ and He knows what it's like. And He offers to walk with you and to bear your sins with you. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Whatever you've suffered this morning, Christ has already suffered it for you and invites you to cast all your care upon Him for He truly cares for you. If you were forsaken by your Father, Christ had to say to His Father, Why have you forsaken me? If you've suffered depression, it says of Christ that He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. If you've ever been hungry, Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights and was weakened. If you found yourself crying yourself to sleep at night, the Scriptures tell us that Jesus wept. If you've ever been weary, Christ Himself was weary and crumbled under the weight of the cross. If you've been forsaken, By those who you thought would not forsake you, Jesus looked at His own disciples and said, Will you also go away? And if servants of God have ever let you down, Jesus was let down over and over again by Peter, by Judas, 
by all of us. If you're suffering from stress this morning, Jesus was stressed so much that He sweat great drops of blood and He offers you the grace to help you carry your burdens. And surely there is a price to be a Christian. There will always be, there always has been a reproach to bearing the name of Jesus Christ. But remember that Paul says, you're not your own. You don't get to choose your lot in life. You don't get to choose what happens to you. You don't get to choose ultimately where you go or what you do. You are to yield that to God because you belong to Him. You're bought with the ultimate price. So honor Him with your life. Don't turn back. The Scripture says if you place to your, your shoulder to the plow and then turn back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Whatever ways He calls, calls you to be engaged in His service and to live for Him, He says do not turn back from that. Keep going. Remember how Christ hung on the cross and continued to go for you. I'm going to put my notes away and say in closing this morning, the call then is twofold. Most of all, if you have never received Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I would beg you to do so today. It's not enough that your parents were Christians. It's not enough that you were born into a home of people that knew God. It's not enough that you joined a church or walked an aisle or got baptized or even prayed a prayer if you didn't know what you were doing. But God gives the call that all men are sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because of that sin, if we die in our sins, there is a price to be paid. Those who are not written in the Lamb's book of life, He will say, depart from me into fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I never knew you. But what we talked about this morning, the death of Christ was for the purpose of paying for your sins. He has made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. If you will receive Christ as your Savior and believe that He paid for your sins, it's a gift that it was given to all mankind, not of works, lest any man should boast. Yet a gift must also be received. Amen. If I bring you an expensive gift and say, here, it's your birthday, this is for you. If you knock it out of my hand and leave my presence and leave it sitting on the ground, it's not become your personal possession unless you receive the gift that was given and in like manner, God says eternal life is a gift. But you have to receive it. You have to understand you were a sinner on your way to an eternity in hell without Christ, but that Christ died for your sins. And you must look and say, Christ, I believe you're God. I believe you paid the penalty for my sin. And I want you to save me. Would you please take me to heaven when I die? Would you be my Lord and Savior? I believe in your death. I profess that you rose again. I believe you're God. And I want your payment to be the payment for my sin. And Romans promises, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever, the Bible says, Whosoever may be born again if they will come. Jesus says, He who cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You see, as Jesus hung on the cross, He was between two thieves. And the Scripture says the thieves reviled Him. They mocked Him. They hated Him. But then one, moments before His death, was convicted by Christ and the message. And He turned to Him and He said, Jesus, whose name in the Hebrew was Joshua, meaning the God who saves Yeshua, Christ. When Thou comest into Thy kingdom, will You please remember Me? 
You know what he did? He said, I admit that I'm a sinner and I can't make it into your kingdom on my own merit. But I also believe you are the Christ. And though you're about to die, I believe that you're not going to stay dead, that you're going to rise again and reign forever. And he asked, would you save me? And this wicked criminal, Jesus looked to him and said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And moments before he died, his eternal destiny was changed from separation from God and torment to forgiveness and restoration with God for all of eternity. That's how simple it is. And then the call for those of us who are saved, Paul says, remember, you're bought with a price. Surrender your life to him. Live according to the will of God. Be willing to suffer for him. And remember that your life is not your own. Bear the reproach of Christ if thus He calls you to do. Let's bow our heads for prayer. This morning, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, I beg of you from where you are right this very moment, would you please cry out in your heart to God and say, I know I'm a sinner. I know that if I die in my sins, I'd be in hell. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you're God. I believe you rose again. And I come boldly to the throne of grace to ask, like the thief on the cross, would you please save my soul, trusting in your blood and your payment, not in my good works. Would you please save me? If you would do that now, I promise you, he will save you. The music will play. We'll have prayer for a moment and then we'll be dismissed. Let's continue in prayer. Let's thank God for his sacrifice. Let's surrender to his will for our future.